Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. Welcome, everybody. It is Friday. It is 1 o'clock on the East, on the West Coast. We're on the West Coast. I keep forgetting that. We're on the West Coast. It's 1 o'clock. It is Friday. Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast. My name is Josh Carter. I am your host. Carmen is out this week. Uh, we wish her well. Hopefully, she'll be back next week. I have been out for a couple weeks. Uh, I am back. So very excited to be back. And uh, if you are unfamiliar with the show, Welcome. Uh, as you just heard in the intro, we bring in these exceptional people that are building these businesses throughout the globe. This week, we have an international guest, and uh, and they happen to be veterans. Uh, they could either be military spouse or veterans. We've had both, and they're both really amazing. This week, we have Jim Nelson from the She Group in China. Jim, welcome to the program, sir. Oh, Josh, thanks so much. So glad to join you. Yeah, we're really excited, and welcome from, ba- from which part of China are you in? I'm here in Greater Shanghai. Greater Shanghai. What time is it over there? Good question. A little bit after 4 a.m. Oh, that's awesome. I am so glad. Hopefully you got your cup of coffee, and, uh, and you're ready, and you're energized, and you're pumped about the next hour that we have together. Sure. No, definitely <laughs> glad to be here. Great, Jim. Okay, so with every every program, we, we bring in these guests, and uh, we talk a little bit about uh, where you're from, first and foremost, and what compelled you to join the military. And you're an Army. Uh, you went in the Army. Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. So- I was from Minnesota. There's not, there's not a lot of uh, Army in Minnesota. No? My dad had occupied Japan in 1946. Oh, man. And so he loved that experience, and so he introduced me to West Point when I was in high school. Wow. Right? And so I looked over the material. I looked over the material, and I just thought, wow, total physical, mental, emotional challenge. You know, I was just, I was sold. I never applied to any other college. I just, you know, went to West Point. Nice. And, and what year was that that you went into West Point? I joined the summer of 1983. Wow. Okay. And and so, what did you hope to get out of uh, your time in, at West Point? And what was it that you were hoping to do once you got out? Wow. So you know, I wanted you know a total challenge. So the army, what a great opportunity. The army would say things like, "We do more before nine a.m. than most people do all day." I thought, "Wow, that's so great." <laughs> so that whole mantra of just be all you can be. I just love that. So that was just a match. I was just like, wow. So I didn't have any um, core career aspirations at that time, but just the total challenge that West Point and the Army offered was just perfect for what I wanted to do. And and you list here that uh, you were Army ar- ar- Artillery. What Was that something that you were hoping to get into, or is that just something that you did once you got in and you discovered that was what you wanted to do? Yeah, I joined the artillery. Yeah, me and a friend, we were going to go up to Fort Drum, New York, and we joined the artillery together. 
right? So we just stayed in New York, so we were up near Canada. Okay. And then uh, how long were you in uh, in the Army? Uh, four years and four months. Nice. And did you travel at all uh, during that time, or did you kind of just stay in the States? Wow, we traveled quite a bit. We went to Honduras for training, did Reforger in Germany, just, just before the wall came down. You know, we were at the end of the Cold War, as it were. Wow. That's really cool. So you, so you go in uh, in Army Artillery. Uh, what was the transition for you when you decided, I'm ready to get out of the Army? Uh, how, how did you think about that transition? And then tell me a little bit about what that transition was for you. Yeah, perhaps I can tell you that, uh, yeah, when I was in the Army, I was I, I had a chance to be the support platoon leader for... Uh, 450 person, 105 battalion, right? And so that job kind of spurred me in many ways because that job was like a business. We had to like make the cafeteria profitable. We had to provide product. We had to do logistics. The, that position made me think more about you know, my career thinking. And so it got me starting to turn towards being a business person. But within that is always in my childhood, my whole life, even now, I had a huge interest in international things. And I thought, hmm, the Army, you, go, you can go international, but I wanted to, like, sink into a culture, right? So I just kind of wanted a different method to get into a culture. And then I started to think about how I would transition and go into a, a civilian role and to move abroad. So when when you got out, it, it was always your intent to figure out how to do something that had an international flair to it. Oh, absolutely. Was China always your target? Hmm. I had visited Japan, um, like graduation time. I visited Japan. I thought, wow, they're really rational, just like me. And... Um, <laughs> You know, China, China is this deeply emotional country where they, like, read poetry to their children. You know, it's, um, <laughs> you know, it was a good match for me, right? Because they had something I didn't. Interesting. You mentioned that during your time in, in the Army, you had to kind of figure out things almost like being a business owner. What do you think some of the things that uh, that you did in the Army helped prepare you for your life as an entrepreneur? You know, and I'll, uh, I'll know one other thing. China, or China, when I arrived in 1991, was, like, totally government-owned. It was, like, one big um, overdriven bureaucracy. Wow, and that was just like the U.S. Army. So interesting. You know, because the Army is really, really big. Yeah. And so then there are things that get kind of bureaucratic. And so China was really, really big, and things got bureaucratic. I thought, wow, it's just the same. So that was a very good match, interestingly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the experience of West Point could prepare you for any challenge. Sure. Right. So that was a great match, right? You know, I could come in and challenges in China. Sure. Right. You know, huge transition of culture. Right. But, uh, you know, the experience of working in, you know, think about 
with my sport platoon leader, I had to learn how to get things from the ASP, get the ammunition from the ASP. How do you get this bureaucrat to cooperate with you and get you what you want? Those are the same lessons that paid me very, very well when I moved to China. <laughs> and when you when you decided to move to China, how much research did you have to do ahead of time? Like, did you, did you have did you spend any time getting to learn the language? Did you spend any time understanding the different cultural niceties before you before you t- decided to jump in? Um, well, what I did was I like took a job in China. So initially, I worked as an English teacher just to kind of get familiar there. Okay. Then I, you know, saw that, went and got an MBA, and then, then learned language. Okay. So, that was that was my path. I have heard that Chinese is really difficult to learn. Mandarin, Chinese, all of the different dialects within that that region are very difficult to learn. What helped you while you were trying to not only learn the language but the the learn everything about the culture itself? Yeah, interestingly, I thought I would come and, like, you know, um, teach English and then learn Chinese while I went. You'd learn a phrase in Chinese, go out and talk to people in the market and say, try the phrase, and nobody could understand you. <laughs> it was, like, totally, totally discouraging that you couldn't, you couldn't, like, move in the language by, like, learning a phrase and trying it because nobody could understand you. And so I found that the, the door to Chinese was super, super hard to enter because the pronunciation was strange, but also the people never, never expected you to speak Chinese. They always were listening for some strange foreign language. And so even though you spoke Chinese, they would think you were speaking some foreign language and they couldn't understand you. Interesting. Right? And so, so I, um, I started to really learn Chinese when I, you know, focused and just, you know, went to school and learned Chinese. But I would tell people in Chinese, the, the, the main greeting is ni hao. And I would go up to people and say ni hao very clearly in Chinese that they would start to think Chinese. Mm-hmm. And then I would say my Chinese phrase and they could all understand me and I could start to talk with people. So I started to use what I was learning. Nice. And then as far as, uh, you know, how far into your living in China did, uh, before you started your, your first business? Yeah, I work, I, I did full time language study for 14 months. And then I went to work in a small office that was doing business, helping a Western company that was trying to sell their automation equipment in China. Nice. Nice. I want to hear more about this piece, but we're going to take a quick commercial break. We've been talking to Jim Nelson from the Xi Group in China, and we will be right back right after this message. CPA dudes where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. 
And we're back with Jim Nelson from the She Group in China. We're just talking a little bit about uh, some of the things that you were doing within China and, and your first job. Tell me a little bit more about that because I'm really curious. You uh, you went out and got a job. What was that like as being sort of a, 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 a foreigner in a foreign, la- a foreign land, speaking a foreign language, and going, I'm going to go find a job? Like, how much of that was a struggle? Um, surely, surely people trying to find work in China, that's a struggle. Trying to find your place, trying to find what you can do. So I was fortunate that I found a group that was very active in China and had different activities in China. They were bringing in Western companies. And so after I just worked for maybe several months or close to a year, they had a new project that came in that they were starting a new factory in Tianjin, China, near Beijing. And so new factory startup, 70-person factory making pager lamps for, um, for, for pagers, right? So, you know, that, was that technology, that time period. And so when that opportunity came up, they immediately said, oh, you're the one. You know, they hired me immediately. It was very interesting because... Um, China, the 1990s, was like the Wild West. In what way? Um, you know, very, very the, the laws were very, very loose. No one was following the law. But um, I was a Westerner. I had no factory experience. And this American factory hired me to be their general manager and to run their whole factory. Wow. Okay, so... You can't do that. You can't do that day in China. But in the '90s, you know, I had language, I had understanding the culture. I was willing to live in China. They were like, "Wow, score, come be our general manager." So it was a kind of a special opportunity, right? But but um, wow, they named me to be the general manager. I'm, I'm excited, right? That sounds great. But also, I start to think, "Oh my goodness." Right, because <laughs> I've been in China for you know several years. You know, I've, you know, seen some things, but I noticed that Chinese people had the habit of saying yes, and they meant no, and saying no, and they meant yes. And uh, <laughs> interesting. So I thought about hiring seven. I hired. I thought about hiring seventy people. All were who were saying no, and they meant yes, and yes, and they meant no. I thought, wow, that's like a huge amount of complexity. Okay. So, so, you know, suddenly I was like, oh, my goodness. And um, as I thought about that, I thought, oh, I had met one guy who was a straight shooter. His yes could say no, and he could, he could say these things, even though it was uncomfortable for him, even when, um, you know, it didn't seem to be, you know, the, the advantageous thing to him, right? Mm-hmm. He could just say, yes, even though it would put him in a spot. Okay. And so I hired that guy and he helped me a ton. Okay. He helped me identify quality managers, helped me identify finance managers and, you know, people who were like him that were also straight shooters. You know, I didn't know, you know, I wasn't that deep in the culture and he helped me identify those same kind of people because he didn't want to re- work with those politicians either. Right? And so he, he helped me sort it out. That first team, they suggested it would take us six months to do the startup. But three months later, we had volume qualified product. We were shipping to Motorola um, in four continents. Wow. Okay, it was just a fabulous startup. Okay, just fabulous. Everything just boom, 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 boom. 
so after that, you know, I thought, what happened? And I realized it wasn't just because I could trust them because they were like trustworthy people, but it was that I could, you know, have a situation where they could trust each other. Um, because in China, well, in any country, just trust between coworkers also can have influence. But in China, the trust between coworkers was commonly very poor. But on this team, they could trust each other. They could just, boom, make it happen. So the, the bureaucracy was shoved out of the whole mix, and these guys just got things done. So we were just super fast, super effective. Interesting. And why, what, what do you think is different? Because, I mean, scaling up something like, you know, a whole operation for Motorola and shipping things out to four continents, in the States, there's a lot of red tape to get that done, and it can take a lot of time. What do you think uh, China gets right that uh, we could learn from here in the States that we could possibly compete at a scale of that magnitude? Hmm. You know, the, the thing that Chinese people have absolutely is diligence. Hmm. The Chinese people are tremendously diligent. You know, if you actually, you know, if you go to engineering courses in America, it's filled with Asian people. Right. Um, that, that diligence has served them well. Interesting. Right? They, they have diligence. Um, remember I said the 90s was the Wild West? Yeah. Um, that also meant that this U.S. factory, we could, we could blow down a lot of the bureaucracy because, because you know, they, want, they want us to come. That right. district wanted us to succeed, and so they were helping us. We were working with them, and yeah, the, the, a lot of the bureaucracy would work out. But like Motorola, they were desperate for us to be up and running because they needed, they needed lamps. Okay, and so yeah. they're trying to indigenize their, they were in Tianjin, they're trying to indigenize their supply chain, right? And so they'd invited this factory to come, right? And so as soon as I had any product, Motorola was out there the next day to wow. see if our processes were verified, to see if we could, you know, be a qualified factory. You know, we were qualified, boom, you know, that worked. You know, we... We identified an existing factory. Now, China just has, China still has this space you can move into, mm-hmm. right? Their, their infrastructure just fabulous, right? And so, <laughs> so, so yeah, um, actually, the things just roll out before us, just amazing. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, so you're doing this, uh, you know, you're managing the, this large group. Where at what point do you go? Uh, this is there's an opportunity here, potentially for for a business. And how how did you identify that opportunity? Okay, so that that company kind of blew its blew its relationship with Motorola. They sued Motorola. Motorola cut them off. So that opportunity closed down. Oh man! And so then I went on and did other kinds of work in China, but. Every place I went, the key thing I knew that to be successful is that I had to find trustworthy people in that area right. who could work with me, right? And so I was developing better and better methodologies year by year to, to find the right people, to know who were the, 
you know, the people that would make a company successful and who are the people that just make trouble. Right. And so I was working here, working there, you know, I worked, you know, another different factory job. I led a consulting company. I led a nonprofit that was doing microfinance. So it was a, it was a business. We were selling loans to, you know, laid off workers. Right. So all sorts of different work, you know, very, very interesting life here in China, actually. (laughs) Um, But in um, the last job I had, um, I worked for a U.S. holding company that had holdings in China. Okay, so they had holdings and they hired me to, you know, like the people guru for them. And, um, you know, they, their holdings were a mess. And so my methodology wasn't to, like, go in to do a Six Sigma project. Is I would go and throw the bums out and uh, hire proper leadership. Yeah. And, um, and, and the factory would get better. Okay. The, the factory would be transformed. Okay. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a good model. Yeah. Right? But, um, but, that, but that company, um, that company had like learned all the wrong lessons in China. So they were like lying, cheating, stealing to get the business. Wow. And so I was super uncomfortable. I was super uncomfortable. Okay. Yeah. I went and talked to the boss, you know, this, this, you know, I couldn't move them. And so I thought, you know, you know, my dad was a businessman. He had his own insurance agency. <laughs> so, yeah. so I thought, yeah, I'm just going to go do this for everyone. Huh. Right. And so, so I resigned from that company. I said, I'm not working for you guys anymore. Right. Uh, so I just went and registered my own company and, uh, you know, with a certain amount of fear and trembling, went out and said, uh, does anyone else need this kind of recruiting? <laughs> nice. And so when you when you did that, when you said, this is what we're doing now, how hard was it for you to find your first customer was or did was it was there much of a a struggle there now interestingly i thought you know china is a big country right um but the foreign companies that's um a small percentage the chinese company that's a big percentage In my mind i thought wow the chinese companies are a mess they um they need my help a lot right and so i hired a guy that i knew a trustworthy guy i knew to who was a good salesman um, so I brought him in, uh, you know, brought some other kind of people in, but you know, he was like key person, you know, he's going to go sell this thing to Chinese factories. Interesting. Right? So I thought this is a plan, right? And, um, he goes out and starts to talk to Chinese factory, talk to Chinese factory. In the meantime, my friends who know that I had placed one guy in some factory and the whole factory was changed. They call me up and say, hey, I've got a friend who's got a, you know, Western company and they've got a certain challenge. Right? And so, so we're working every day as hard as we can to try to find business in the Chinese community. At the same time, business is coming in the door that we're not even looking for. Okay. <laughs> and we're serving them and, you know, helping them find the right talent and, you know, the you know, by that time, you know, I had a deep system for how, how to find the right people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we do background checks. We, you know, we had a, we had a very, very complete service. We nice. can guarantee them the right hires. So, so that was happening within about, a, about six months. Um, 
we looked at this and Paul, you know, this Chinese guy had hired, you know, great hire, you know, we worked together so well. He um, looked at me and said, Jim, we need to make you famous. <laughs> and <laughs> I, had, I had been the, like the inside guy on these businesses. I had never been the salesman. I'd never sold anything in my life, really. Right. Um, but suddenly, suddenly we realized these Western companies, it had to be me. Right. I had to go make the sale. And then he became the he became the core recruiter. And I I trained him on the whole process. And he is hugely adaptable. You know, he proved to be a great recruiter, too. Interesting. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so that we just turned our efforts around. Nice. Right? And so um, we also we were offering we were offering a couple other things, you know, we we're offering turnaround work. We were offering like training and, um, it took us a couple years to, um, to say, well, that's noise. Yeah. We just, finally, we just cut it out. Right. <laughs> this noise, this isn't working, right? We need to focus and just focus our messaging, focus everything we're doing and, and just be really, really, um, on the mark on recruiting in China, right? So, like, by 2010, I was blogging, you know, every week, right? And so, you know, even now, you know, we've got, like, we've got over 700 pieces of content on our website now. Wow. That's awesome. Right? So, we just, I, <laughs> we just started to, you know, work on making me famous, right? It was, um, you know, I wasn't, like, the famous guy, but... But to run a consulting company that's doing recruiting, I needed to be well more well known. Yeah. Right? So, you know, that we just started working on it, right? And so, you know, these people who knew us, that kind of um, that floated our company, right? We had people that knew us that yeah. helped, right? Because I'd done some things that were memorable in you know before I started my own company, right? But that you know that was like a limited thing, you know. Sure. So you know, actually. <clears throat> We started studying marketing. We started to study, <laughs> you know, we, we started to work on these things. You know, we knew how to find good talent, but our ability to like know how to market this thing actually was, was a wee bit lacking. You know, I was just trusting he would be a great salesman, but there was a lot more to it than that. You know, now sure. I had to be the salesman. Yeah. Right. And so that, that was a transition was to, to literally reinvent myself to, to become a good marketer, someone who could, you know, understand the customer, could put out messaging that would get people involved, you know, that, you know, that, you know, we, we grew step by step. Yeah. That's interesting. We've been talking to Jim Nelson from the She Group in China, and we're going to take another quick commercial break. We will be back in just a moment. Today's episode of The Veteran Startups is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. For instance, media relations. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Carmen and Josh sent you. 
And we're back. We've been talking to Jim Nelson from the She Group in China. Jim was just telling us about, you know, all the marketing that goes with companies. Uh, Jim, I'm really curious. What do you think you've learned in this process of, of like, finding customers? Because what you're building and what you have built is really a two-sided market. You have your customer, which is the companies trying to find talent, and then you have to go out and find the talent, which is the other side of the market. How difficult has that been in China specifically? Yeah, no, it's a great question. You know, interestingly, I was, uh, just when I came to China, I was a, a really kind of a stubborn personality, uh, a guy who had a lot of things that he thought things should be just this way. And I came to China and nothing worked. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so for me to actually get into China was a huge puzzle. Interesting. Right? To yep. figure out that they, they had a completely different way of doing everything. Mm-hmm. Um, that, um, that was, you know, fascinating problem. You know, it's trying to kind of understand how the Chinese thought, how they considered life, how they, you know, related with each other, you know, this deeply relational company, country. In China, um, in America, you have friends, you know, like, you know, they'll, like, help you with some stuff. When I, like, bought a house, I borrowed 50,000 U.S. from my Chinese friends. <laughs> um, you know, on, like, a, a note. You see what I'm saying? That was yeah. Friendship in China was so much different than America. Yep. Right? That... Um, that was just kind of a different culture. They could be something that I couldn't do here. Um, but as we start then to, in China, you know, I've got a business in China. Um, wow, I, you know, I, I'm good at hiring people. Um, I hired people that would, that would push out all the, the, the China problems, right? We could sure. run the business because I had, I had these Chinese people who were great hires who would, you know, handle, you know, say, you know, the bureaucratic challenges, you know, the, um, because, you know, foreign, here we are, foreigner here in China, the government will just examine us with a, with just a very, very, very close microscope to see if we're doing anything wrong. I'm sure. The Chinese companies can break the law left, right, and center, but we're a Western company in China. You know, that's natural. Every country does that, right? Right. Right. And so we have to have every I dotted and every T crossed. You know, that's true. You know, know, we got fined for just silly things, you know, where we expensed this, but actually the law said you could only expense this 90% of it, but that 10% you can't. And we're just, oh. <laughs> Wow. Um, right. And so that, that's, that's true. Just being a foreign company, you know, you've got to have everything right because, you know, you're a foreign company. You know, people are looking at you different because here you're a foreigner in China. Yeah. Right. And so, so that kind of China problem, we, you know, we certainly have to have to face. One of the things uh, that... The, the uh, marketing question... Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Marketing. The marketing question was just, uh, was just amazing to me. Because, you know, you know, we blog and, like, you know, nobody reads it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, it was, um, you know, how to actually get the things that we were known. You know, we... Um, we really admired a guy who was blogging the China law blog in China. 
And so, you know, we connected with him. He, um, he read our blog. He said, you are the best thing since sliced bread. And he <laughs> advertised us. We got known. More people read our blog. Um, you know, different things happened along the way. But a funny thing that happened was, you know, um, we, we were on LinkedIn. Okay, LinkedIn was a good place to find people. Okay, even Chinese people, it was possible. You know, we mostly find people in China on other channels. Mm-hmm. But, um, but we're just kind of on LinkedIn. And so, you know, I put content on LinkedIn and, you know, over a period of a year or two or, you know, you know we get nothing. Okay, at LinkedIn, just nothing. And, um, you know, I finally am saying, maybe I just give up on the market. You know, we find people here. But maybe there's no market. Maybe this isn't a good place to find find businesses that need, need help. And, um, you know, I said that and like the next day, you know, a company calls me up from LinkedIn and says, Hey, you know, we've got a challenge here. You know, they, <laughs> I just digress, tell you that story. You know, when that, the LinkedIn thing started, it was just so surprising. This guy, he, um, yeah, he was, a, he was an American He's from Minnesota. You know, I'm from Minnesota, you know? Yeah. Um, he, um, he had started up, he's working for a big U.S. company, you know, $4 billion U.S. company, provided parts, you know, they, they're a big, big company. Um, but when he had arrived here, you know, he'd hired one guy, you know, Roger, to be his, like, main man. You know, he was a young guy, but he trained him up year by year by year by year. And so eight years later, he had this vast um, group of salespeople and, you know, implementers out all across China. And um, his discomfort grew, but he started to read my blog. Yeah, he started to read my content on LinkedIn. Okay, and uh, <laughs> two years later, he calls me and says, "Jim, we need to talk." <laughs> and um, I, <laughs> I said, "What's happening?" He says, "He said I hired hired Roger, and um, um, you know he uh." You know, it was like a son to me. I trained him, helped him to learn to do the business, trained him up, made him leader of this whole part of China. Um, he's been training people. Not not only has he been stealing from the customers and from us. Oh, no. These eight years. Um, he's been training the whole organization how to switch part numbers to make money for us, for, oh. you know, the for the people on the side. Whoops. Okay? <laughs> so... so so he is torqued. Okay. He is, he is, he feels just betrayed. Yeah. Okay. He is so, so hurt by what happened. It's just so, ah, <laughs> so his HR manager, his Chinese HR manager, the HR managers in China are always, they cost too much. They ask for an upfront fee. Don't have them. They're bad, you know, because they're trying to take payments from the candidates, but they can't, uh, we, they can't control us. Sure. They bring us in. Um, they can't button us under, actually. Okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the, this guy, his HR, just fought with him. She, you know, he just, she just fought with him. And he, he told her, go away. You are out of the process. I do not want to hear from you anymore. You led me to hell these eight years. Wow. We are not doing it your way anymore. And uh, <laughs> he threw her out. She resigned and left. Oh, wow. Um, he said, go away. Okay, so he was just so mad. You know, I mean, he, <laughs> so then we start to hype, bring him in, and uh, he has us try to find someone in Qingdao. And uh, Qingdao is a city in China. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, we discovered pretty quickly that his kind of talent doesn't speak any English. Hmm. Okay. And um, he needs English. And we're like, oh, my goodness. So we, uh, we finally find a guy who can speak English. Okay. Super, super hard project. And uh, that guy gets in there. And, uh, you know, the client meets this guy, likes him, thinks he's good. We start to background check him. We find out that it's all lies. Oh, jeez. Okay. <laughs> this guy just told stories. It wasn't true. You know, you know, he, you know, he had never done those things, you know, and he hadn't. Okay. So, um, so then we come back to the customer and say, oh, we're so sorry. We just have one candidate. We want to tell you, we want to withdraw that candidate. Interesting. Because, um, you know, here's the real data. This, this, he's not a proper hire. Right. And, um, the, the customer says, Jim, I hired you just so that you could tell me those words. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So then we found a person who had worked for IKEA um, who had good experience in the kind of logistics and sales model that he needed. Okay. And so that person started, she was just perfect. Okay. She was just a great hire. He was just thrilled. We just start to help him all across China. Right. You know, it's that. But, 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 you know, if he hadn't walked in the door um, and said, you know, hey, I need help, I, I was just ready to give up on LinkedIn. Right. You, know, it was, you see what I'm saying? It was just, um, but now, you know, most of our business is, is through LinkedIn. You know, we, we get Google business and, you know, I still have, you know, friends, you know, and local people I know, you know, they there's many different channels, you know. I'm, I actually became a good marketer over time. Because um, <laughs> you, you just but, uh, um, tried to figure it out. Oh, and so, you know, the, the thing that I was going to give up on actually is our main business. You know, LinkedIn is most of our leads come from LinkedIn now. But sure. just the thing you think that won't work, that proved to be the most important. Yeah. Right? So, wow. Yeah. That's but, yeah, just... Bit by bit, you know, learn how to be a networker and, you know, how to connect with people. That all of that was just step by step. It wasn't, it wasn't like one day suddenly I was a good networker, you know, no, 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 no. <laughs> nice. You know, long, long process. The stubborn guy to get all the things that they ran well. And right? you've been out there since 91. So you've had some time to, to network with people. Yeah, sure. No, but you know, like, one business I did, the business that I did for six years was microfinance. We oh, were making small loans, small loans to little Chinese entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, how big were the, how thousands, big were the loans? The loans were like $300. Oh, wow. Okay. Small. Okay. Microfinance. Yeah. Just, you know, so that was 19, you know, it's the end of the 1990s, about 2000 in China. Interesting. Um, remarkable job. Okay. Really, really interesting job. But then who were my customers? Right. My customers were out of work people, you know? <laughs> so I, I was indigenous and my, my wife is a Chinese medicine doctor. Okay. Wow. Um, deep, deep in the culture. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you need any acupuncture, I can tell you where. <laughs> um, so deep, deep in the culture. And, um, and so then my Western contacts were not as good as my Chinese contacts. Yeah. Right? My Chinese contacts were fabulous. 
And you were building right. a pipeline. You were building a pipeline of people already that were out of work, needed a micro loan, and then that fed, I'm sure, into what you were doing, which is the the your current the Xi Group uh, China. Yeah. Now, interestingly, interestingly, recruiting people don't come to us because they want some simple thing to get that they don't do. Right. That. The simple things they just do themselves. Yeah. Okay, when they come to us, they want like a brain surgeon who's at the bleeding edge of some technology. You know, they they always want like the most impossible possible position ever. They come to us because it was so hard. Yeah. Right. And they, <laughs> you know, and they come to us because they want trustworthy talent. You know, we guarantee trustworthy talent. You know, but 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 every project is completely unique. And if we had a if we had a database of 40,000 people, it would be worthless. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Because <laughs> we, we need a database of 1.3 billion people. That's our database. Whoa. Right? We have to be able to tap into the whole country and find this person. Yeah. Right. That's, that's, that's recruiting in the modern age because it's not, and it used to be recruiting was like get a Rolodex and how many people right. did you know? Yep. But but recruiting is totally not that way. In the internet age, everybody could be found. Yeah. And so the companies expect that you can find this guy who, you know, invented water or something, you know. <laughs> they come in and they say, Well, we need to do this and I'm like, Oh, you know, and so that recruiting just meant that we had to be persistent enough to to go find those people. Yeah. Because you know, they, they never apply. The guys who applied were always no good. No, or they're we already employed. Dig, 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 dig. Oh, yeah. Well, no, we absolutely, we'd have to find people who are already employed. Right. And um, introduce the opportunity to them, help them to see how it could be a good fit for them. Um, well, our model is that we try to find out all the dirt from the company about themselves. <laughs> And then we go tell the whole story to the candidate. We say, hey, this company's a mess. That's why they're bringing you in. You know, okay? So <laughs> we tell the candidate the whole story. And yeah. so then some candidates then would, would immediately withdraw. They would just say, they say, oh, no, thank you. That, that's too messy for me. Yeah. You know, and so, but, the, but, but other people would just really trust us. Yeah. And he would say, wow, I want a thing like that. But they appreciated our candor. The fact that we would tell them the whole story, and so we could develop a pool of people who who wanted what this company had, their real, real problem. You know, they were guys who wanted to take it on and had experience in that in that problem. So, so then finding people that's that's truly hard work. You know, that's you know we just tear our hair out to find people, mm-hmm. but it's um, but it's not yeah, it's not a database problem, right? It's, sure. it's a network problem. Yep. Yeah. But the customers, that's a that's a network problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. We've that, been, that was the other piece. Yeah, that's awesome. We've been talking to Jim Nelson. He is uh, the founder of the Xi Group in China. We're going to take our final break. We will be right back after this message. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live as if they're right there in your office. Together, you and Ruby transform your phone into the sales engine it was meant to be. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com forward slash startup radio to sign up or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code startupruby. 
And we're back. We are talking to Jim Nelson from the She Group in China. Jim, we got just a few minutes left. I would, there was one big sort of elephant in the room that I want to talk to talk to you about, and that is the news that just came out about an hour ago. Trump just raised two hundred billion dollars worth of Chinese ter- tariffs on China for Chinese goods. Talk to me about how that impacts you, and and how you know the ripple effect that 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 causes somebody like you in your business. Now it's interesting that you know, um, you know, we've done the business for ten years now. What we've seen is that the the macroeconomic situation doesn't seem to affect us as much as the micro situation. But I can say that um, that you know the Western companies in China, the American companies in China. Let's just say that you know the sure. they're shipping product to to America, right? And so. Their product has been 10% more expensive. Now it's 25% more expensive. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, that, that's um, putting them in a certain amount of crisis. Sure. Um, but recruiting, recruiting is an unusual animal. Is that in a downturn, people um, change change people. They they tighten up their organization. They so in a downturn, people will come and ask us for recruiting and also on the top end they'll come. And so okay. the fact that, that that's really hard for us companies that are trying to ship to America, um, you know, even a German company that's shipping to America, you know, everybody's struggling, you know, who's got to put things on a boat right now. Right. Um, right. That's the challenge even will actually lead to a certain amount of, of recruiting because they need some, special new guy that will help them succeed in, you know, some other market. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So every week we ask the, ask every founder the same question and it's really around the lessons that you've learned. So talk to me about one thing that, and I'm sure there are many, many, many founders say there's a lot of examples of this, but talk to me about an example where you screwed up so badly. You made such a huge mistake and you said, I am never going to make that mistake again. And what are you doing to mitigate the, the risk of it happening again? Sure. No, um, well, <clears throat> I think I already um, helped you to see that initially, you know, we started the business that, um, you know, what, if I could have done it again, okay? <laughs> yeah. If we if we could have seen, if we could have seen from the start that we should be focused on Western companies, if we could have seen from the start that I needed to be the networker, not not Paul, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, if I could have seen that from the start, you know, we you know we fumbled along at the start because. Um, you know, we thought he would be the salesman. So sure. the fact that I hadn't done any good market research to really understand meant that, you know, the first six months of our business, we were were just fuddling along, right? Right. <laughs> right. So if we had done better market research, right? So, you know, at this point now, you know, I'm a totally committed marketer. You know, that, you know, that revolution occurred. <laughs> right. But that was... That was surely the thing we kicked at the start. We did not see the market well enough. 
Nice. And so where, where do you see your company in five years, five, five, ten years? You guys have been around for a long time. What, what's the next step? What's the next uh, iteration of this? Now, interestingly enough, um, what I, what, today we, you know, we are 100% working for U.S. companies. Okay, not U.S., Western companies. Sure. Okay, European, Australian, you know, okay, Western companies. Um, but what I see is that the Chinese culture is changing gradually. Um, I would think that sometime out there we're going to be able to pierce recruiting for Chinese companies. Okay, so I think that's actually coming. Okay, we have a good company serving Western companies, but we suggest that that division could yet could yet come. Okay, we're not yeah. certain, but we see some rumblings. We get an occasional inquiry from a Chinese company. You know, we that we wonder if that's going to come. The the Chinese companies, um, if I <laughs> the Chinese companies usually just hire friends and relatives. They know right. that Chinese people are tricky, and you can't you know trust people, and so. So then they don't do outside recruiting, and they they have friends and relatives. You know, it's um it's a very different model for their business. You know, but gradually the Chinese companies are professionalizing, and so at some point, um, they're going to bring us in. So I see that coming. That that's kind of the next the next big challenge for us. Nice, nice, Jim. Where can, where can people find you online? You can find us at www.shigroup.com. That's awesome. Uh, SHI is for uh, Soaring High International. Oh, wow. I didn't even put that together. Thank you for for clarifying that. That's really cool. Hey, Jim, it has been uh, an absolute honor and privilege to talk to you uh, this this week, and uh, I wish you all the best in your your business. Wow. Thanks so much, Josh. So good talking to you. Yeah, same to you, and and try to get a nap in today. Uh, Thank you so much for being on the show. Jim, uh, you've been listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the StartupRadioNetwork.com. Tune in every Friday at 1 p.m. Western Time, Pacific Time. Uh, Listen, learn, get shit done. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.